0: Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. It's a joy to worship together once again. We're going to encourage one another through songs and psalms and through prayers and the preaching of the word to set our eyes on the Lord. We want to read from First Peter. Let that encourage your heart uh, to sing to the Lord there, um, to set your eyes on him, on his promises. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we're gonna sing to the Lord. And by the way, happy 4th of July weekend. We hope that you had a great day yesterday and were able to stay safe. And now let's look to him, to Jesus, our King. Let's look to heaven, our kingdom.
1: This Jesus... Jesus, Who rose from the grave, the same Jesus We worship today, we worship today Came to us with grace and in truth Still with us, still on the moon, The same Jesus, He's making us new it's making us new
2: Let's read together from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and, his, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Yes, Lord.
1: To age though the earth may pass away your word remains the same yeah your history can prove there's nothing you can
0: It is. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. It endures forever. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to us. Great has been your faithfulness to your people. And we are thankful that our hope is in heaven, that we are citizens of a kingdom that will never end, will never perish. So we set our eyes on you but as we walk through this earth as pilgrims we are also citizens of earth and we do what the word of God has instructed us to do as joyful people thankful people full of him we pray for our country we pray for our leaders We are thankful for all the things that the Lord has given us and allowed us to enjoy as a people here on earth, as a part of this country. And so we want to take a moment and spend the time praying for our leaders, praying for our nation, praying for the next generation, praying for the church. So, would you now take a time to pray for all these things with us? Let's pray.
3: Heavenly Father, thank you for the country that you've allowed us to worship in. Thank you for that freedom to worship you openly, that freedom to share our faith with others. Thank you, Lord, that you've protected our country, that you've kept our country free. Thank you for our military and our military leaders that have served and sacrificed to enable that freedom. And Father, I pray for all of our leaders in government. In your sovereignty, you've selected them, Lord. You've allowed them to be in the positions that they are. And Father, we trust your sovereignty, and we pray for healing in our country. We pray for wise decisions from our leaders, Lord, that you would guide them to your truth, that you would guide them to godly decisions, to heal and restore our country, to right the wrongs, to correct the injustices, Lord, to provide reconciliation and healing, Lord. We thank you for this country, and we pray that you would guide us more and more into your presence as a country, Lord. Thank you, Jesus' name.
4: Father, thank you for the gift of family, families of all different shapes and sizes. Lord, I ask that you strengthen our families, strengthen our marriages, give us peace in our homes, and help us to put you first in all things. Whether we're single parents, or married couples. Help us to be salt and light to the people around us. Give us the strength to stand up for what is right, to model godly households, and to bring you glory. Lord, I ask that you bless each of our families and bless families across our country. Lord, we need you. And I ask all of these things in the precious and holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
5: Father, I pray for the next generation. I pray that our young people may love your Son, Jesus, more and more. I pray that Christ may become the center of their lives and that as they live united with Christ, they can be transformed into your holy people. Lord, I pray that their identity may be firmly rooted in you, Jesus, so that no matter what the world says about them, they may know who they are in you and what they have in you. Lord, I know there's an enemy that is seeking to kill and destroy, and they are the target. So I pray against attacks that come from all places. Lord, that our young people may not believe the lies that come from themselves, from the world, or from any spiritual attack. Lord, that they may know that you are so good and that you love them more than they could ever imagine. Finally, Father, I pray that they may be used by you to love the outsider, rescue the oppressed, and set free the captive. Lord, that our young people may bring your good news to their friends, and that there's something in them that's so attractive and irresistible that their friends can't help but come towards you. Lord, we put our young people in your hands, and in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.
6: Father, we come to you in the midst of an incredibly uncertain time. And because it's uncertain we want to pray that we will go to the most certain thing in this world and that is your gospel help us to be a church that is full of gospel truth and people disciples that are willing to take that gospel wherever we go help us to be a witness during this time so that your church may grow and so that you may be glorified. I pray that in this time, you would bring about a revival, a revival in us as followers of you, a revival that will stir up hearts to want to be with you and to serve you with their whole heart. In the midst of all of this, Lord, I pray that you would bring about a unified spirit in all of us. Help us to be a unified church that, that shows what, what the beauty and the love of unity looks like to a world that is needing this so desperately. And help us, Lord, to be examples of your son. May we reflect Christ wherever we go. And I ask, Lord, that you would send us out from this place to look like our risen savior, to the people around us, to our neighbors, to our friends, and to strangers. May you be glorified. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. As a people of God, we understand that the church, the church is the light of the world. The church is the hope of the world because we are Jesus' hands and feet, his body. And so may the church... Arise in this time in history, in this moment, He placed us here. May that be true of Wheaton Bible Church. Oh Lord, we pray, send revival.
1: Oh, church, arise and put your arms. Hear the call of Christ our captain For now the weak can see that they are strong In the strength that God has given With shield of faith and belt of truth We'll stand against the devil's lies An army bull whose battle cry. Love reaching out to those in darkness, call to war to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor, and with the sword that makes the we will fight. cross where love and mercy meet as the Son of God is stricken. Then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet, for the conqueror has risen.
7: amen worship team thank you so much it's so great to be with you guys and good morning church family welcome to worship this morning my name is Kyle Reschke and I serve here as our pastor of sending and outreach now this morning if you're new with us or just getting to know us uh, a little bit better an extra warm welcome to you um We would love to get to know you a little bit better as well and we have a simple next step for you. You can text GIFT to 630-260-1600 and we would love to send a gift your way as a thank you for joining us today. and also would love to invite you to partner with us as we continue to serve alongside some incredible ministries locally. When you send that text, uh, we 'll also work with you about a donation to a local nonprofit. and so thank you uh, for your step in that direction to get to know us a little better and allow us to get to know you. Now today, Pastor Hannibal will be uh, teaching about parenting. Now here we are passionate about Not only serving, but about seeing what God is doing and will do through the next generation through our kids and student life ministries. Now while we haven't been able to have our kids and students meet on campus, um, our amazing kids and students team have been creating weekly teaching videos, providing resources, encouragement in their faith. Facebook groups, and all kinds of creative ways to connect. It has been just fun and absolutely incredible uh, to follow along with through recent months. And these ministries regularly engage with hundreds of kids to share the good news of Jesus and to equip parents and families and caregivers to have the confidence to be the primary shepherds in their kids' lives. And so church, this morning I want to specifically thank you. I want to thank you for your generosity in continuing to support Wheaton Bible Church, which provides for an amazing team and staff, opportunities to serve, incredible facilities for our kids and students, and through this, we know that today, God is at work in building the next generation, and we are so excited to see what he does in the years ahead as well. So thank you again for your generosity. And this morning, as you're as you're able, would you take a moment uh, to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring uh, gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible Church? You can easily do this by texting Wheaton Bible to seven seven nine seven seven, visiting our website at WheatonBible.org/give, or mailing a, chur- a check to the church office. Again, thank you for being a partner in ministry here, a partner with God in all he is doing around the world. And I want to invite Pastor Hannibal up right now to pray over the offering we're about to receive.
8: Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the blessing of being part of your church We want to thank you, Lord, for the evidence of your grace as you allow us to be part of your kingdom, Lord, and to make a difference in this world. We thank you, Lord, because your salvation is not just for our personal benefit or only for our personal benefit, but it's for the benefit and the well-being of this creation and people in our surroundings. We thank you, Lord, for what you have been doing in the church and throughout the church and through the church But now, Lord, we come before you acknowledging once again that this is a difficult season. People are struggling with different things, health issues, emotional issues, psychological issues, relationship issues, all kinds kinds of issues, Lord. And we know and we declare that you are our only hope and that you work through your church. So please help us respond to your call to our lives. I pray, Lord, that as we think about generosity and what it means for us to uh, invest in the kingdom, I pray, Lord, that you give us a heart that is not just uh, willing to do it, but it finds joy in doing it. We pray, Lord, that uh, you continue to bless those that are already generous and sustain the church financially. I pray for those, Lord, that may not be able to support the church financially. I pray for your provision for them, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you give us the wisdom, Lord, to use this money for the glory of your name, the joy of your people, and the salvation of the lost. Lord, and the more we think about how you make a change in this world, how you use the church, now I pray, Lord, that you equip us so we do that. And I pray, Lord, that you use your word, the preaching of your word this morning. To open up our eyes if we cannot see, to give us ears to hear, a mind to think and understand, Lord, and a willing heart to surrender our lives to you and what your word says. Please, Holy Spirit, work in us this morning, be present, make a difference in our lives today. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we all say, Amen. All right, good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at church. And it is such a blessing for me to welcome you today. If you are visiting the church for the first time, if you're tuning in for the first time, I just want you to know that we are here to love you. We are here to serve you. We are here to do anything we can uh, to make you feel loved and heard and anything you want. So if there's anything we can do for you, Please let us know. If you're already part of our church, if you're part of our West Chicago campus, in any of our services, if you're part of our Tri Village campus, uh, I want to welcome you again. You have no idea how much we continue to miss you. We're looking forward to our time uh, together, looking forward to that time in which you're going to be able. At least gradually to be able to see each other and love each other and welcome one another, even though we might keep a little bit away from one another. That doesn't matter. We're going to get to see one another. Now, if you have been part of the church uh, or listening to our sermons for the last few weeks, I would say almost two months, we have been going through a series based in the book of Proverbs that we have called Wisdom for Life. Now, the reason why we have been doing this is because life requires much more than just information. It requires much more than just as knowing what the word says. And I know that that sounds weird for some people when I say that. But I actually have a biblical argument on why I'm saying that. If you remember King Solomon in the Old Testament, this was a very important king. He was the son of King David. Uh, he was the one that took his place when, when King David retired. Um, what is interesting about this man is that he had everything he needed in order for him to be successful. So, for example, he had the position, he had the authority, he had a God's given right to be, a be, to be a king. He had the word of God. He knew the word of God. He grew up with the word of God. And yet, when he becomes a king, the first thing he asks for, the only thing he asks for, is wisdom. Because wisdom is much more than just knowing the Bible. Wisdom is learning how to make decisions... Based on biblical principles or biblical convictions. Now, I don't know about you, but there's so many areas in my life in which I know and I recognize that I need wisdom. But there's one specific area in which wisdom is not an option. And it's in the area of parenting. Parenting. Now, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what we're going to see what the book of Proverbs talks about, what what it says about parenting. Um, So I want to invite you um, to consider that even if you are a parent already, and if you think that you know what it means to be a parent, or if you have plenty of experience in being a parent, um, pay attention to this. And also, if you are a child, regardless of your age, I think that the book of Proverbs has something for you. Now, I want to start today with a little confession, um, and I hope I don't think I'm the only one struggling with this thing. But um, there was a season in my life in which I truly believed. Listen up! In which I truly believed that I was supposed to get the award of the Parent of the Year. I, I got to tell you, it's, it's for a season in my life. I thought that I should be nominated for the 100 most amazing parents according to People's Magazine. I just made that up. In other words, I wanted to be Miss Universe, but the father version. And now, before you judge me, let me explain why I said that I'm saying what I'm saying. So, in my prior life, before I became a pastor, I was an educator. So, I went to school to learn how to work with kids. I, I learned everything about uh, child psychology. I, I learned everything that I needed to know about child development. I learned the techniques and how to be effective and reaching kids. I taught in a public school for six years. I think that qualifies for someone that knows how to deal with children. Now later on, I became a pastor. And I realized that it was a little bit different, so I bought all the books that I needed to have uh, for parenting. So if you go to my office and you look into my bookshelf, you will see that I have about 40 different books that talk about parenting. I read them all. I mastered the material. I was teaching parents how to be parents. I went to school. I studied theology. I wanted to see what the Bible says about parenting. But then one day something changed. I became a parent. And then I realized that there was a reason why it was so easy for me to work with kids. And this was the reason. Because they were not my kids. It belonged to somebody else. It was so easy for me to help these kids. But then I got to go home. But the Lord that is good and faithful, he was about to teach me a lesson but the reason why I thought that I deserved the award for being the parent of the year was it it was because I didn't have a kid. And the Lord gave me two beautiful interruptions. I call my daughters. And they are they are amazing and they fulfill me in so many different ways but just like marriage parenting is complicated and difficult. Therefore, wisdom is absolutely necessary. It's absolutely necessary because there are no techniques that will guarantee that you will be a good parent. Only what the word of God says. So with that in mind, I want to talk about four things today. I want to talk about the call, the goal, the way, and the context of parenting. The call, the goal, the way, and the context of parenting. It's four points, so we're going to be here for two hours. Just kidding, an hour and a half. Here's the first point, the call. Now, I believe that there are different approaches to uh, parenting, and I think that um, all approaches have some good stuff, and some approaches have not so good stuff. So I, I want to divide it into three. I think that there's three different uh, approaches to parenting. One is the traditional way, and I'm, for lack of a better word, that is the way I'm going to call it. Uh, I'm going to call the modern or the, the modern approach and lastly, we're gonna, I'm going to see the gospel or the biblical approach. Now, what I, wanna, what I want you to do as I go through this, I want you to, if you're a parent, uh, see, make a self-assessment to see if this, in which one of these you actually land. Now, let me start by saying this. 99% of the parents, not good parents, including the one that is speaking here. But our goal is not to be the perfect parents, but to grow as parents. So this is, let's, let's go with the traditional view, because I think that it is the most common within church circles. And in this approach, the idea is that uh, parents believe that their primary reason why they're parents and their primary goal in life and their primary call is to learn how to break the will of your kids. I've heard that in church. It's, it's, to, it's to teach your kids how to submit to authority and how to be obedient. Now, someone might say, well, Hannibal, is that, is that wrong? No, of course not. Uh, because if a, le- if a kid does not learn how to surrender his will to his parents, probably he or she is not going to learn how to submit his will to God or maybe sometimes to other people when they need to. So if a child does not know how to do that, if a child does not know how to be obedient, that's an issue. If, if, if the child doesn't know how to submit to a, authority, that's an issue. That's not the problem. The problem is that with this approach, if that is the only approach, it can be so easy that a parent become excessively controlling. The problem is that a parent, if, he's not, if the person is not careful, can become abusive. The problem is that sometimes our motives, our parents, are completely wrong. Sometimes our motive is not for our kids to submit to the Lord and to follow his steps, But sometimes our struggle is that we want our kids to submit to our will, not God's will. That's the issue with this approach, that the motives might be wrong sometimes. And what I think is worse than anything else is that the traditional approach to parenting focuses a lot on behavior modification, but focuses very little in heart transformation. Let me say that again to that camera. The problem with this approach is that it's so easy to focus on behavior modification and to forget that what matters is heart transformation. Now, that's the first approach. The second approach is what I call modern approach, which is the most popular one right now, which says that the the primary responsibility of the parent is to support their children and their journey, and I quote, to self-discovery. Is that this is the approach that thinks that the primary responsibility of the parent is to affirm the child so he or she finds what he or she wants to be? No rules, no restrictions, no standards, just expectations. The problem with this approach is that you're trying to empower someone that doesn't have the experience, nor the ability, nor the desire, nor the tools to actually. Changed somehow. That is the problem. Actually, because that is the main problem in our society today, that's the reason why we have kids that are so self-centered, egocentric, selfish, and with a spirit of independence. This is the reason why, in our society today, the value and importance of authority is not there. See, when my, when my girls were little, we, used, we spent a lot of time watching Disney movies and with Disney shows. And I did that for a while. But if there's one thing that I learned during that season, is that Disney uh, has the ability to elevate children and diminish parents. So the most amazing people in those shows is always the kids. And the ones that are not as smart is always the parents. Actually, one of the shows that we watched was um, a dog with a blog. So in that show, it's super interesting because even the dog was smarter than the parents, and the dad of the family was a child psychologist. Now it seems like a little thing, but it's not. That's when we have put kids as the center of the universe and the authority of parents is out of the picture. This last uh, Two years ago, I read a book called The Collapse of Parenting, and I was reminded when I was preparing for this, uh, it's a secular thinker, so I cannot recommend everything that the guy writes over there. But he makes an assessment uh, about the condition of our culture today when it comes to kids and parents, and this is what he says. Over the last three decades, there has been a massive transfer of authority from parents to kids. Along with that transfer, transfer of authority has come a change in the evaluation of kids' opinions and preferences. In many families, what kids think and what kids like and what kids want now ma- matters as much or more than what their parents think, like, or want. Actually, he argues and he talks about the role of confusion. What that means is that now parents don't know if they're parents and kids don't know if they're kids. And and they don't know which one has the ultimate authority, which one is a leader and which one is a follower. Role of confusion. And and that has led to another issue. Is that our kids have the tendency now to value, and I quote, to value the opinion of their peers much more than the opinion of their parents. And the consequences are catastrophic. So, culture rules. Rules, not home. Public opinion matters, not parents. Uh, this has created a culture of, di- of disrespect. Our kids do not know how. Our kids do not know what the word "no" means. Therefore, that has led to this. Uh, they don't know how to deal with suffering, and there are all kinds of psychological, emotional, and spiritual consequences. So, the first approach is not very healthy. The traditional approach. The second approach, the cultural approach, is not very healthy either. I think that there's a third option, which we're going to call the biblical approach. In which he tells us that the primary responsibility of the parent is to discipline their kids. And we see that in chapter 19, verse 18, where it says, discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be uh, a willing party to their death. Now, this, this is a scary verse because it tells us that as parents we have two options. Either we contribute to the holiness and sanctification or the well-being of our kids, or we contribute to their destruction. Discipline is what makes the difference. Now, discipline in our culture usually is, is, is viewed as something negative. But the word discipline in the book of Proverbs is much more comprehensive So, for example, you could find the translation for the word discipline in the book of Proverbs as instructing or teaching, that means imparting knowledge, training, which is more like coaching and preparing, and then correcting, trying to fix something that is wrong. Notice that in the book of Proverbs, discipline is not a technique, it's not a set of rules that you just follow and do. It's about biblical principles that you apply to know what what you need to do. The primary responsibility of the parent is to discipline. Not to be friends, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But we have to keep in mind that a God-given right for parents is to discipline. And as much as people are going to say that this is something wrong, there's something wrong with this. The Bible never shows this as something that is negative. And I think that the text, the Bible gives us two reasons. Number one, the reason why parents need to discipline is because of the condition of our children's hearts. This is chapter 22, verse 15. Look at what it says. Folly is bound up to the heart of a child, but the rod of, the, of discipline will drive it far away. Now, this is super simple. What the text is saying is that our children, just like every other human being in creation, are born with foolish tendencies. That our heart, it tends to go in the wrong direction. That we have this issue with sin. And our kids struggle just as much. I know that in our culture that might be offensive. Because people think that our kids are born neutral and innocent. But if there's a group of people that shouldn't find this offensive, are Christians. Christians. Because we know that that is true. Sinful by nature. Foolish tendencies. Folly by, by default. This is the reason why I heard of a, of a man that when he was presenting the baby, if, if you are part of our church, you might know that we present our babies here. And what we do is we pray for them and the congregation prays for them. Well, this man has his baby, is lifting up his baby, and he says, welcome to this world, my beautiful sinner. Some people are like, why would he call him that way? Well, because that's exactly what it is. All of our kids, my two beautiful girls, beautiful girls, and yet sinners. Discipline is needed because that's the reality of their hearts. The second reason why I think the book of Proverbs calls us as parents to discipline is because it is an act of love. Look at what it says in chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. To discipline our kids is an act of love. Now, I want you to pay attention to the word careful though. Notice that that word says that you don't get to discipline your kids however you want. Notice that the book of Proverbs says that you don't, you, don't, you don't get to discipline whenever you want, however you want to. The word there is the word careful, meaning that there's a way to do this. And with that in mind, then, let's go to the second point, the goal of parenting. Now, we already said that the primary responsibility of the parenting, parenting is to discipline their kids. What does that mean? So let me frame it like this. As much as you love your kids, you are not called to be their friends. I'm a friend of my daughter's, but that's not my primary call. Your primary responsibility as a parent is not to make sure that they have a successful life. As good as that is, and you should do it, that is not the primary responsibility. Your primary responsibility for a friend, uh, for your kids, is not that they have the life that you never lived. As good as that is, that is not your primary responsibility. What the book of Proverbs tells you is that the primary responsibility of a parent is that we teach them the difference between what is good and not good, the difference between what is right and wrong, the difference between what is good and evil. That's our primary responsibility. And we ought to do it because it's the best thing for them, it's the best thing for others, and it's the best thing for us as parents. Look at the first one. This is the best thing for our kids. This is where I get the difference between good and evil. Uh, Chapter 22, verse 6 says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Can you see it? Primary responsibility, the best thing that you can do for your kid is to discipline them in a way or him or her that she learns what's the difference between right and wrong. One of the scholars that we have been uh, reading through this season is Bruce Waltke. And this is what he says. Loving parents seek to correct faults because their children's lives favor, protection, healing, dignity, and prosperity are at stake. And loving parents turn their backs on them and hand them over to death, social ruin, public exposure, calamity, and shameful poverty. See, every time I think of something like this, I have to remember that the reason why the Lord gave me daughters is so I could disciple them, not so they could obey me just for the sake of obeying, not so they could fulfill my desires, but because it's the best thing for them. My job is not just to create people that know how to behave, Or that I had the power to modify their behavior. My job is to pursue their heart because it is their heart what what would determine what happens with their lives. The difference between good and evil, right and wrong. Now, what is interesting here though is that the book of Proverbs not only talk about not only says that this is good for the for our children, but it's also good for the sake of others. So look at chapter 17, verse 12. It says, better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. So this is a beautiful illustration here because it explains what happens when you take the baby of an animal. And it tells you that when you take the baby of an animal, you better run for your life. Because this animal will go after you and will want to destroy your life. But this is what the author of the book of Solomon says. It is better that you confront that animal that you hang around with a kid that is rebellious in his heart. Don't you find that interesting? It is better to struggle with a wild animal than with someone that, that the sinfulness of their heart has controlled them completely. This is is one of the things that I I, I think that parents need to remember and we need to teach our kids to remember. That all of our foolishness has social consequences. Everything we do, everything we do wrong, everything our kids do wrong, not only it affects them, but it affects everyone else. You know, a a, a kid that is struggling with addictions, not only he's being affected by that, but he's affecting everyone else that loves him. If there's a girl, that, a girl that is struggling with uh, egocentrism and selfishness, not only she's being affected by it, by it, but everyone else is being affected by it. You know, whatever we do in secret, that's not only affecting us, but it's affecting everyone else we love. That's why I think that it's so, so, and so irresponsible, the modern thinking that says, let your kids be. They will figure it out. Let them learn by experience. Well, yeah, they're going to learn some things and experience, but that's not an excuse for us not to discipline. Listen to what this author says. Parents who do not bring careful, controlled, and pleasant consequences into the children's lives, they will go out into the world, our kids, and bring far more painful and harmful desires unto themselves and unto others, inflicting minor sadness now avoids great despair later. Every sin, every foolishness of the heart, every foolish, foolish tendencies has personal consequences and social consequences. The reason why we're disciplining is because it's the best thing for our kids, it's the best thing for others, and of course, it's the best thing for us as parents if you are a parent Look at chapter 17, verse 21. It says, to have a fool for a child brings grief. There is no joy for the parent of a godless fool. Look at the next verse, 29, verse 17. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you uh, the delight of your desire. And this is the way I'll frame it. If you are a parent, you are always as happy as your kids are happy. You suffer when they suffer. You hurt when they hurt. That's the reality. What, whatever our kids do really affects the way we, we live. So, discipline our children is not just good for them. It's not just good for others. But it's actually good for us. Now, I, I want to give um, just a few words to all of you that are listening to this sermon that are children... That, are, that you still have your parents with you. See, the, the call of the, of, of the Bible to you, if you're a child, which actually that applies to all of us, is to honor our parents. And that looks different. Depends on where you are in life. What stage of life uh, you find yourself in. So, for example, if you are somewhere between age 1 or 0 and 13, to honor your parents means... You obey. (laughs) As simple as that. You submit to their authority. You do what they tell you to do, even if you don't understand it. Simple as that. That's how you honor your parents. If you are somewhere between 13 and 18, that changes a little bit because the word honor can also be translated as respect. So it means that if you are somewhere between the ages of 13 and 18, your primary responsibility is to obey your parents and to respect your parents. Now, if you're an adult, like in my case, honoring my mom, because I don't have my dad around, but honoring my mom is, looks very different. See, I don't have to obey my mom. Because I'm an adult. Even though she wants me to obey her. That's just part of life. All parents do that. But my primary responsibility as a child of, of her is to... Honor her by listening to her, caring for her, allowing her to be present in my life. Now, I'm going to get a little bit more personal here. Because if there's a cultural issue we have in the United States today, is that once you become an adult, for some reason, the culture says you don't worry about your parents anymore. But that's not what the Bible says. We honor our parents forever. Forever. When you're a child, when you're a teenager, when you become an adult. Now, we talked about what the call of of parenting is, what the goal of parenting is. Now we're going to talk about, which is the most practical thing, about the way to parent. Or the way to discipline our kids. And once again, I think that the book of Proverbs gives me three more options. It seems like if everything goes here by threes. So I think that the book of Proverbs gives us three different ways in how we discipline our kids. The first one is what I will call the verbal discipline. Now, let me remind you that I, I told you that the definition of discipline in the, in the book of Proverbs, it's always, could also be translated as instruction or teaching, right, which is, is imparting knowledge, right, training, which is, could also be translated as, as coaching or correcting, which is fixing something that is wrong. What I find super interesting here is that there is one word that appears more than 20 times in the entire book, and it's the word listen. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, listen, my sons, to our father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Notice here that the primary way in which parents uh, discipline their kids is through words, is by having conversation. This is why I think that the quality of time and the quantity of time with your kids is extremely important. This is the reason why I think intentionality is so important. This is the reason why you got to be do everything in your power to change things at home so you have times in which you can talk to your kids. See, our culture loves when we give them quick fix. But you cannot, you cannot fix your kids like that. Actually, you cannot even fix your kids. The Lord needs to do it. What we pray for is that he uses the things we say to transform their hearts. Now, I'm not the only one talking about this. Christians are not the only ones that talk about this. Even the secular world is talking about the necessity that we have to create places in which we can have conversation with our children. So another secular book I checked, let me explain why I did that, is I'm always interested interested in hearing what is it that the secular world is saying that that the Bible has already talked about. So this is a book called The Price of Privilege. Another uh, child psychologist, um, and she talks about something that as Christians we talk about all the time. Actually, the Bible talks about this more than anything else it seems when it comes to relationships. Uh, This psychologist talks about the importance of having meals together. And this is what she says, parents are more concerned about taking their kids to the soccer game than taking them to the dining table. Perhaps the single most important ritual a family can observe is having dinner together. Families who eat together five or more times a week have kids who are significantly less likely to use tobacco, alcohol, drugs, have higher grade point average, less depressive symptoms. Eating together reinforces the idea that family members are interested, available, and concerned about each other. Now, check this out. If you want to see how many times Jesus talked about having meals together, you will know that this is true. If this is true for any kind of relationship, can you imagine how important this is for us as parents and our kids? The primary way in which the Bible calls us to discipline our kids is through words. Just read the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The whole discipleship path for our kids in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is talking, repeating, instructing, reminding, time and time again. It's about creating opportunities so you have actually a verbal relationship with your kids. Instruct, teach, train, correct. Now the second one is not a very popular one. And modern culture, once again, we reject this. But the Bible does talk about corporal uh, discipline or corporal punishment. Um, now, I, I got to tell you that there's one word that appears in the book of Proverbs seven times. Now, watch this because it's seven times that talks about these while the other one talks more than 20 times. And you find one of these specific verses in chapter 29, verse 15, in which he says... A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Now, this is the reason why I put this one here. Because the Bible talks about. It talks about this thing that we call corporal punishment. What, what I found in, in church environment is that usually this is taken, this is taken out of context. Because just the fact that it only appears seven times in the book of Proverbs and the other one appears more than 20-something times just listening and talking, it tells you that corporal, uh, that corporal discipline or punishment is the exception and not the norm. Because uh, you got to take into consideration the personality of your children. So, for example... In my family, three brothers, two, two men and one woman. I, I think that my sister was more about uh, talking, right? I think that for me, it was a mix between talking and sometimes physical reinforcement, right? Um, but my brother seems like he always needed physical reinforcement. My mother learns how to do those three with every single one of us. My mom even tried something that I call the faking. You know what I mean? The faking is when your mother looks at you and needs to discipline goes, That that worked for me. The idea here is that you got to know your child. And if you're going to exercise this physical thing, you got to know that this is the exception and not the norm. Now notice that the verse says that this physical thing needs to go along with words. If it's only the physical part and there's no conversation, you didn't do anything. Notice, or it's important that you keep in mind, that this physical or corporal discipline must fit the crime. In other words, you discipline according to the offense. And I think it's important also that as parents we recognize that this corporal discipline has a due date. This is what I mean. Every time you find that word, the word rod in the, in the book of Proverbs, it always talks about little ones. It always talks about little children. There's a reason for that. It's because the smaller your child is, the more your responsibility is to teach him how to obey and submit to authority. But the older your kids get, the less authority, quote unquote, authority you have, the more you got to rely on the influence that you have over them. So I always use this as an example in my own personal life. My mom is uh, 70, and I can say that she's 70 because she brags about that. Uh, and I'm 45. And I can say that the, mo- that the thing that I remember the most about my mom is not the thing she said or even how many times she had to discipline me, uh, discipline me with a rod. What my mom has the most, uh, what my mom has given me the most Is her life. And that has really influenced me. And this is what is interesting that the book of Proverbs talks about a third way for you to discipline your kids. And it's actually that what I just mentioned your life. Look at chapter 20, verse 7. The righteous lead blameless lives, blessed are their children after them. Isn't that crazy? The idea here is that we also discipline our kids with our lives. That's what my mom did for me. I think that parenting is complicated. I actually think that it is, it's one of those things that you're always growing into. I, I haven't met a parent in which I can 100% say, man, that's a perfect parent. But this is what I've seen and this is what I've learned. Is that parents, even if they do right or wrong, they do it out of love. At least most of the parents I know. With that then, it goes to our last point, and this is going to be super fast, is the context of parenting. Now, we read this verse already, but in Proverbs 13, it says that the only reason why we discipline our kids is because we love them. The interesting thing about this word here is that love gives you the motivation, but also gives you the power to be able to love, parent, or discipline our kids well. This is the problem, though. The problem is that we love our kids so and so much That if we're not careful, we can actually turn our kids into idols. Actually, this is the reason why I think that modern culture has put kids at the center of the universe. Is because they're almost treating it like if there are their idols. The problem with that, when you love your kid that way, is that you try to live your life through your kid. Right? And that way you will force your kid to be the person that you want him to be. And then your kids become your source of satisfaction, security, and significance. So if they're doing good, you feel satisfied. If they're doing awesome, then you feel they have significance. If your kids behave well, then you're worthy worthy of admiration. The problem with that is that if you really pay attention, you are not living for the glory of God. And you're not doing things for them. You're doing it for you. The only way we can deal with this, the only way we can love our kids well... It's when you know that there is nothing you, your kids can give you that you, already ha- that you already don't have in Jesus Christ. The reason why Jesus la- uh, lived, died, and resurrected is so you have everything that you want. Satisfaction, security, and significance. That is the most important thing that you can have. You already loved. You already appreciated. You already welcomed. You already adopted. You have everything you could possibly want. You don't need that from your kids. All you have to do now is to love them in such a way that you point them to your source of happiness. That's parenting. When you love them enough to point them to your source of happiness, of satisfaction and significance. In my opinion, the only way you can love your kids well is when you really understand how much you have been loved because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you because we get, Lord, not just to hear your word, uh, but to respond to it. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful call you have made to us of becoming parents for those of us that are parents. Lord we understand that this is a big responsibility and it's actually one of those things that you never you, that you can never walk away from Lord the way I see it in the bible to be a parent is a blessing it is a privilege but it's also a responsibility please give us the wisdom to know how to be the parents that you want us to be by the power of your spirit give us understanding and the conviction that there are things that we must do that matter the most. Please make it happen. Please speak to us and transform us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Let's reflect upon the love of the Father. We love as he loves us. We parent as he parents us. How deep the father's love for
8: Before finishing our service, I want to remind you that uh, as a church, we take prayer seriously. Every week as a staff, we gather to pray for the needs of our congregation. Or even if you're not part of our congregation, you get the opportunity to send us your prayers. So if you want us to pray for you, please send a text to uh, um, the word prayer to 630-260-1600. And I guarantee you that there, there will be a group of people praying for your needs. With that in mind then, we want to receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us on the cross, which is the same blessing that will help us and sustain us as we try to be the parents that we're supposed to be. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine in you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thanks for being with us. We love you. Witten Bible Church, you are sent. Stick around. We have some announcements for you. Have a blessed day.
9: Thank you for worshiping with us today. I'm Michael and I serve with our creative team. As Pastor Rob shared recently, we're excited to start gradually meeting on campus again. Registration is now open for our July 12th and 19th service. If you're worshiping with us on campus, you must reserve a seat as our capacity is limited to help with social distancing. We hope to see you there and we want you to know that our online services will continue to be available to watch at home or with your life group. Every year our church organizes and participates in CareFest. CareFest builds love and compassion in our community through the lending of time and skills to help repair and care for projects in need. Now is the time to plan and join a project. This year on August 8th, you can serve your neighbors and community. If you know a neighbor, friend, family, or organization that we can encourage and serve through a CareFest project, submit your ideas and the CareFest team will help you make it happen. Registration for projects open soon, but your project ideas are needed now. We can't wait. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week.